Hear thee, hear thee. All hail the great and illustrious house of sea. Oh, so this is what we're doing. We, the house of Chris, have made the world a fantastic place for comic geeks everywhere. Oh, we have, have we? Floppies are never sold out. And have become incredibly affordable. Okay, so what else has the House of Sea done? Comic book movies are wildly successful. That's already true. And their success directly translates to comic book sales. Okay, well, I can I can get behind this. And at 3 p.m., we do one thing, and one thing only. Talk about comics? Yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earths. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our first House of M episode. That's right. We're going to be covering the, well, at this point, classic, because it's 14 years old. Yikes. Crossover, written by Brian Michael Bendis and illustrated by Olivier Coipel over the next three episodes. Yeah, we're we're thinking we can tackle it all in three. Yeah, it's an eight issue, so you do a three three two. Works out great. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's like a a play or it's like an arrangement in soccer, three three two. Oh. House of M as we know is uh, definitely a crossover about about the footy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I... I might be a, a player or two short there on the three. That, that, that's that's kind of what pops into my head. I I used to coach soccer just just a little bit, readers, or football for those of you across the pond. Across all the ponds, we're the only people who call it soccer. <laughs> across every pond. Yeah, or not even across a pond, just like south. So, did you know much about House of M before we started, or is this going to be a complete surprise? Well, I mean, it's not going to be a complete surprise because I did read it before we started recording. But yes, this is my first read of House of M. Right. But there's this is going to be a big status quo change at the end. Oh, yeah. I know it's supposed to change everything and that a lot of people really like it. And that's what I know. A lot of people like it. A lot of people really don't like it. Great. Yeah. Like, like you know, it's very few comic crossovers that I feel like are universally loved or universally reviled. There's probably some that are universally reviled. Probably way less that are universally loved. Anyway, you ready to get into the summary? Yeah, yeah. Summary. House of M, number one through three. Written by Brian Michael Bendis. Penciled by Olivier Coipel. Inked by Tim Townsend. Colored by Frank D'Amato. Lettered by Chris Eliopoulos. Edited by Tom Bravort, Stephanie Moore, Molly Laser, and Andy Schmidt. We start our comic with a birth of twins, specifically those of Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch. Her happiness is interrupted, however, by the sudden appearance of Charles Xavier, who firmly and almost angrily reminds her that she does not have children and that she needs to put the world back. The world goes back to normal, well... As normal as a bombed-out Genosha is with a suddenly weeping Wanda, remembering the damage she caused several months back. See, 
Back in an event called Avengers Disassembled, Wanda suffered a nervous breakdown and accidentally used her incredibly powerful reality-warping abilities to kill the Avengers Hawkeye, Ant-Man, and the Vision. Now she, Xavier, and Magneto are living in the ruins of former mutant nation Genosha, trying to keep her under control. Former Avengers Carol Danvers, Sam Wilson, and Simon Williams show up to the new Avengers mansion, having been summoned by said new Avengers. The Astonishing X-Men likewise arrive via jet, and neither group know why they've been called. Charles Xavier has called everyone together to decide what to do about Wanda Maximoff, as her reality-warping powers could unravel the entire world. Her brother, Pietro Maximoff, visits her in Genosha as she sleeps, only to be confronted by Magneto. Pietro screams at Magneto that the Avengers are going to kill his sister, with Magneto stoically stating, perhaps that is the only way. Back at Avengers Tower, Emma Frost and Wolverine have quickly taken the side of definitely kill, with many of the new Avengers, including Captain America, strongly disagreeing. Xavier states he'd done everything he can to help her, with Doctor Strange saying that while he hasn't sought out every option, nothing he has found so far can help. The Avengers decide they need to see Wanda and get her opinion, so they head off to Genosha. Upon entering the room where Wanda was staying, the group finds that she is missing. As they scramble to find Wanda, things start to feel strange before the entire world goes white. Peter Parker wakes up from his bed to check on his baby, baby? as his wife Gwen sleeps in. Clearly something is up. Our second issue is really just a ton of vignettes about how life is different in this strange new world. So let's hit it in bullet point form. Steve Rogers is an elderly World War II vet living in the Bronx. Scott Summers and Emma Frost are married and living in Connecticut where Emma works with mutant children. Simon Williams and Carol Danvers are popular superheroes despite not being mutants. Kitty Pride is an elementary school teacher in Cincinnati. Sam Wilson is a New York City detective asking questions about Kingpin's death in a dive in Hell's Kitchen. Luke Cage makes fun of him for being the token human of the department. Dr. Strange is a psychologist who is having a session with Robert Reynolds about hallucinations he is having. Colossus works on a farm in Russia. Super fascinating stuff. The two Hanks, Pym and McCoy, work in a science lab, where Hank Pym wants to isolate the capital M mutant gene. McCoy tells him their benefactor, Tony Stark, would never go for it, as it would be seen as anti-mutant, which would get everyone in trouble. McCoy reminds Pym that the sapien science mind is running out of places to go before bringing up how unfair it is that Pym has to experience extinction. McCoy says it with sympathy, but it's pretty rough. Janet Van Dyne designs an outfit for Aurora Monroe to wear to an event with the mysterious, well, to the reader at least, House of Magnus. James Howlett, yeah, weird name, who we definitely see as Wolverine, wakes up on a helicarrier bearing a large M after spending the night with Mystique, apparently. He has no idea what is going on. Thanks, Wolvie. We don't either. As issue three starts, it becomes pretty clear that Wolverine is the only one who seems to remember the original reality of Earth-616. He asks very confused Mystique what they did the day before, and when the answer isn't, went to Genosha to confront Wanda Maximoff. He decides to leap off the helicarrier to the city below. 
As Wolverine reads a newspaper, it becomes pretty clear that in this world, mutants are now the dominant species, starting to eclipse humanity. The catalyst of this was a dramatic clash in the past between Magnus, in our world called Magneto, and Sentinels, where it was revealed the world had a wide conspiracy against mutant kind. He took over the island of Genosha, and things have been going pretty great ever since. Wolverine travels to Westchester to attempt to find Charles Xavier. After a little light breaking and entering, it turns out he is elsewhere, if he even exists. While looking for Charles and later Peter Parker, Wolverine violently confronts some mutants picking on a human woman. He then travels to New York looking for Tony Stark before the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents who he abandoned via skydiving confront him about going AWOL. Wolverine starts to fight off the team and beat feet before he is rescued by Hawkeye and Cloak, who take him to see Luke Cage, who seems to be in charge of some kind of human resistance group. All right, Chris, so what did you think of these first three issues? Ah, slow. Yeah, interesting, uh, but... A little, a little slow. It's, it's. We got some world building going on. A ton of world building in some ways that I like, in some ways that I really don't like. Okay, okay. Want to expand on the parts that you like first? So I, even though uh, I feel like I kind of tongue in cheek made fun of it in the summary, I kind of like issue two with the vignettes. Oh yeah, it's fun. But in issue three, where there's like two or three pages that are just a newspaper, and then I have to like read a newspaper in a comic, yeah. there's nothing I hate more than having to try to read a newspaper in a right. comic Right. It's like, well, the vignettes were taking up too much space, so we're just going to jam pack a ton of cool little information and tidbits in newsprint form, which was kind of, you know, kind of fun for just the like, well, you can... I guess read as much of it as you really care to, but still that was like several pages worth of comic that was just this new stuff that not all of it is really even seems like it's going to be relevant to the story or the characters that we're reading about. Right. Like it brings up that it brings up Dazzler's show that you kind of see a little bit of Mm -hmm. and Otto Octavius is in it. Yeah, it talks about how the human the human gangs like they're not really like called the resistance or anything in the newspaper. They're just like considered gangs. Some of their members got arrested, and you get to hear the Magneto story. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I wasn't I wasn't I was really not fond of the newspaper bit. I think it's my least favorite part of the comic by like a long shot. Like I audibly sighed when I turned the page because I've I've read this before, but I. I was like, man, there's something about this that I remember not specifically not liking. Then I was like, oh, yeah, it's this. (laughs) Well, anyway, we should probably start a little bit from the beginning to go through this. Yeah, yeah. So a little background. Yes. Especially from some of the characters who uh, you probably wouldn't have seen and we have not talked about so far on this podcast. So some of our readers who might not be super into comic books wouldn't know either. Yeah. So Robert Reynolds, the guy who is in issue well he's i don't think he actually is very much an issue one but it's an issue two yeah dr strange's patient yes he is the sentry the sentry was a big deal for some reason in marvel comics and like the the mid aughts where i love that we can say aughts we can it's so good (laughs) he there was a mini series where with the sentry it was like 
Uh, he's this guy with Superman-esque powers. He's, like, incredibly powerful. But he also has this intense dark side that they like to, like, play up for, like, dissociative identity in ways that are kind of varyingly gross. Okay. Called the Void. That can sometimes, like, somehow use him. So he, like, has this chance to go incredibly evil at times. The Void sounds familiar to me. Well, and they play it up in this, where it's Mm -hmm. like he sees, like, this darkness. But he... The entire war, I, I, I'm probably going to say this slightly wrong, but I'm not going to research it right now. But somehow the entire world forgot that he existed. So there was this whole miniseries that he had been there for all of these parts of Marvel history, but <laughs> had like been erased from everybody's minds. And I think he did it. Like, as in, like, a, I shouldn't, I need, and he like erased his own memory of it too, because the void was like that powerful. Okay. But then they decided after that miniseries they were going to use him. So he is a part of the new Avengers. The biggest deal with House of M was that at the time, the two like pillars of Marvel were Brian Michael Bendis's new Avengers run, which came out of the Avengers disassembled event that we mentioned in the summary, and the astonishing X-Men run that was by Joss Whedon. So the lineup of the X-Men that you see here is specifically the one from Astonishing X-Men, and the lineup of the Avengers is specifically the one from New Avengers, with the addition of Carol Danvers, Sam Wilson, and Simon Williams, who is... Simon Williams is known as Wonder Man. Yes. And he can turn into energy, and I am not super interested in him. I'm certain someone out there is probably like, Wonder Man's the best, but... eh. I haven't heard of very many Wonder Man fans. If that's you readers, tweet at us and tell us how wrong we are. He has a very famous friendship with Beast that is not explored at all in this comic. Well, okay. Yep. And I feel like they honestly just brought those characters in because they were like kind of popular Avengers at one point. Man, Wonder Man, I don't know when he was popular. I think Carol Danvers has always been decently popular. Sam mm-hmm. Wilson is the Falcon, decently popular. Yes. So they just wanted to bring them in. The excuse, though, is the is the uh, the rehabilitation or the decision regarding Scarlet Witch. So Scarlet Witch having kids is like this real big story that we can or maybe we'll get into it at the very end in our wrap up because it's a whole bunch but just suffice to say at some point scarlet witch used her powers to kind of create children for herself which then eventually became a race out of existence and are now a completely new set of real uh, real like teenage children but it's a whole big deal anyway she started off by just kind of having like hex powers and they decided to shift them to can change reality on an entirely huge scale. But also we have to make her like incredibly mentally ill and like it's it's a little much. And I think that kind of clouds this comic in a way that has put a little bit of a taste in my mouth. Like, oh, mm. we got to make this lady ultra powerful, but also like wacko. It's they do it a ton, like the Phoenix becoming Dark Phoenix, and I don't know having that amount of power could probably do things to you. Yes, I I, I think that is a great in story excuse, but it just always seems to be these ladies. They're like, let's make them powerful, but also like either either you're either evil or you're like kind of like what what is that story the the yellow wallpaper story the yellow wallpaper story that, that, the 
the woman that gets locked up in the attic because she's mad, but she goes mad because she's locked up because everybody thinks she's mad. She sees all the shapes. You don't know this? Ah, oh, it's a great short story. I don't. But in this, they just they they just like to really you know women get like beat on in comics. I don't mean literally in this case. Just like well, I mean it's not even just a a, a comics thing. It's just women in life and in literature just in general i don't i don't think it's exclusive to comics that no <laughs> we should, we'll, we'll cut out me saying women get beat on women get women always get the raw end in fiction i would argue beyond fiction that's fair <laughs> well anyway so that's the that's the entire premise of this this is it's it's this is fallout from avengers disassembled it is less so fallout from astonishing x-men they just wanted them in here Mm-hmm. Astonishing X-Men pretty much wraps itself up. Uh, in fact, I think this was still kind of, this is kind of smack dab a little bit in the middle of Astonishing X-Men. Because mm-hmm. at the end of Astonishing X-Men, Kitty Pride ends up in a in a giant bullet that is flying away into space. And she's definitely in this comic, so. Yeah, it was interesting to me that how even though it, it's like this huge reality shift that happens, and it, but there are still... Like, I was expecting, like, I know Jean Grey at this point is dead, but I'm just Correct. like, if you can remake the world, I guess Wanda really didn't see Jean Grey as essential. I don't think she brings anybody back. I don't think that's, I think she literally just shifts the thing, what we already have. I don't think she Okay. was, was, was planning on resurrecting on it. Well, well, <laughs> she brings back Gwen Stacy. <laughs> so yeah, she's just like, Jean, I think that becomes a little more clear as time goes on. What, okay. What, why she picked who she did. Okay. Maybe not, though. It might be a big old plot hole for all I know. Well, anyway, Genosha is also... So Genosha, we haven't really talked about very much. I know. And I just recently listened to a Battle of the Atom episode about Genosha. They covered some different Genosha stories. So because X-Men often gets used as a metaphor for minorities in a lot of ways. Yes. Genosha is an apartheid metaphor, mm-hmm. uh, except it's it's mutants, and it's like a little fictional island off the coast of Africa. Right. Where there's a there's a ruling class of of humans, and then an underclass of mutants. Well, eventually they got ousted, and Magneto took over the island and made it into a mutant paradise. Right. In a bit of like a, I, I don't know if it was supposed to be a Nelson Mandela sort of s- metaphor, but he did. However, in Morrison's new X-Men run, in like the very first issue, Cassandra Nova, the evil twin. Yes, we know all about Cassandra Nova. From X-Men Red. Yes. Um, This was her first appearance. Uses some sentinels and completely obliterates the island. Yeah. There's like very few survivors. One of them is Emma Frost, and that's how she developed her diamond powers. Mm-hmm. So at this point, Charles, Xavier, and Magneto are like, we're going to go rebuild genosha just i guess two of us so they're living in like this like burnt out husk of a country yeah in their pajamas it seems like magneto does not wear shoes he's wearing his he's wearing his house pants so if you're going to be doing the hard work of rehabilitating the structure of a country you might as well at least be comfy while you're doing it yeah of course (laughs) i do i did think it was very funny that it seems like everyone's just in their pajamas like yeah i get that wanda's like mostly asleep because they literally just keep her asleep 
like Charles does it with his brain. And then he's finally like grown a conscience about it. He's like, I don't know, maybe me using my psychic powers irresponsibly is. I don't know why you think it's so funny that people would just be hanging out in their pajamas. Like you realize like how we dress in if we don't have to leave the house. Yeah, but if we don't have to see people. You know how much Magnino's just worn that red helmet just for the heck of it? It's I'm just shocked to see him in PJs. <laughs> But this whole first issue is kind of just structured almost as a giant argument. Yeah. It's a it's like a lot of like dialogue. So, I mean, this is, is that do you think that's you said that almost in a condescending way that no, you don't find that super interesting? I think the the argument was fairly interesting, but it's this is very Brian Michael Bendis. Brian Michael Bendis is very known for doing these comic back and forths. Mhm. Uh, almost a little Gilmore Girlsy, if you if you would put it that way. And are you saying this is a bad thing? <laughs> no, I just, reiterate, <laughs> just just is what it is. Uh, and you get that with like the, well, have you done this? No. Well, have you done this? No. Okay then. Well, but I haven't done this. Like, like, like the the bit with Emma and, and Doctor Strange. I considered it like the most like Brian Michael Bendisy page. I love the dialogue in this. Well, some people really like it, some people don't like it, and some people I feel like it wears on them. Like, I can, I am so good at picking out Brian Michael Bendis now, you could just hand me a comic and I'd be like, he read this. Because it's, he has this very, dis, that very distinctive, like, Gilmore Girls or like West Wing, or sort of, like, snappy back and forth. It, I think it, that's so delightful. It, he's writing action comics right now, like Superman. Mm-hmm. But it's specifically like Superman in conjunction with like working at the newspaper. And it is like, it's such a good application for that. And I think it does work really well. For to s- me, it's like the Lin-Manuel of, of of dialogue. Oh, man. You're making a statement right now, Christy. <laughs> well, no, you can just, there's a really fun rhythm to it. And you can fit a lot into a little bit of space. Whereas some things, I mean, you, I mean, you occupy, occupy the space that you're given, but how much you fit into it, I think, and fit into it well is a testament to good writing. Well, they have to do that because there's entire pages of this comic that is just like some art. Yeah, we have an entire page that's just Colossus plowing a field. And just like, and it was like, beautiful. Yeah, it's a gorgeous, it's actually it was. my favorite. I favorite feel like page. that could be just like a poster with some sort of like, I don't know, some people sort would, of communist slogan on it. <laughs> people would ask you questions. <laughs> Why is this metal man plowing a field on your wall? Don't worry about it. I, so I love Cap in this scene because he's like, we're not killing her. And Emma's like, we maybe should. And he's like, nope, we'll always find a way. And Wolverine's like, there's not always a way. And he's like, there's always a way. It's so fun to have Cap, who is such like a black and white, right and wrong character, at least in this. Yeah. Up against Emma Frost and Wolverine, who's like, Wolverine's just like, yeah, if my powers went crazy, I'd hope you'd killed me. Yeah. Like, (laughs) poor Spider-Man. Brian Michael Bendis seems to like to put Peter Parker as, like, incredibly out of his depths at all time. Because <laughs> the new Avengers, the, the big difference between the old Avengers and the new Avengers, to me at least, was the inclusion of Spider-Man and Wolverine. Wolverine is on both of these teams. Mm-hmm. The joke is Wolverine's on every team. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so Spider-Man's, like, finally an Avenger, and he's just like, this is just a whole bunch. It's like he has the biggest imposter syndrome. It's like when you're invited to, like, a board meeting or something, and you're like... Mm-hmm. I understand everything that's going on, and you're just like, oh my god, get me it's out. like me as the host of a comics podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a Spider-Man. 
I'm treading water constantly. <laughs> you just, you know, we all do our best. A lot of people like Spider-Man, so I'm okay with being in that position. That's true. <laughs> he is definitely placed, at least at the end of this comic, as like the, he seems to be, at least at the start, like, oh, he's going to be our point of view character. Because after, so I, we get Wolverine, and then we get Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> I generally like Wolverine, but I am he is. This is not the only time this happens where he is the point of view character. And okay, like, just promise me something. There's a reason that he is the only one that knows or that remembers. Is there? There is. Okay, there, that that's all I need to know. I can't that there's what a reason. It is. I don't care. There's a how... big. There's a big. Um, uh, fallout w slash r slash t wolverine's memory as a part of this because one thing that you know probably from comics and, and movies is that wolverine's backstory is hazy yes he remembers or he doesn't remember like any of it yeah okay well then this this has a this a lot a lot happens for the from because of that okay right but yeah we get we get wolverine after so charles xavier is the first one to disappear which i feel like is going to come up be- right because we haven't seen him at all yet. We nope. don't know where he is. You get this weird flash in Wolverine's memories, because Wolverine is the only one who remembers everything. Right. Where he sees, like, Charles and some, like, you know it's him because it's, like, a shadowy figure in a wheelchair. And a few other figures in, like, an old church or something almost, like an old stone building. Mm-hmm. And he just says, like, Charles Xavier or something. And then that's all we get of that flash of memory. Mm-hmm. So I wondered it, what, what what was really supposed to be happening there. Maybe it's oh, just something I, I don't know it- about. I thought that if I, it's the same panel I'm thinking of, I thought that was just them in Genosha. You might be right. I might mm-hmm. be reading into it a little bit too much. But yeah, Charles disappears. And then just like they are like, whoa, things are weird. And Spider-Man just walks. That panel was a little unclear to me. Like, why did they all suddenly stop and go like, whoa, whoa, weird. And then big, big glowy. Oh, uh, well, there iris. was like a rumble and then charles ex- it disappeared first he yeah. disappears but then they like fly off to try to find them mm-hmm. they like fly out of there and then they're like where is blah 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 and then spider-man just goes what and then like there's like a full page of him walking and then the whole and he's like wide. no guys i think everything's okay otherwise my spidey sense would be going off and then a spidey sense goes off this is fair mm-hmm. and then we get him with the he's in bed and gwen's there mm-hmm. right i read some of the tie-ins christy you did. I did. There's a Fantastic Four one and a Spider-Man one, and they are both equally incredibly bleak for this, like, supposed paradise universe. Oh, so is it is it them in this new reality? It is them in this new reality. Mm, so we hear probably more about that the Richards boy that Emma is... It is stated, I think, that Reed Richards died in some sort of accident or something. Mm-hmm. The Fantastic Four in this universe is actually Doctor Doom, his wife... Victor Von Doom. Uh, Victor Von Doom. Oh my goodness. His wife, his son, who is like kind of the human torchy type figure, and the thing who is like chained up and called the it and seems to be like like enslaved in a weird way, but he also like is not his normal like articulate self. It seems like he's been affected mentally in some way that makes him easy to control. It's Doctor Doom's son and squirrel girl. Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> this son's a lot younger than his than his prime universe son, though. So he's kind of a sadistic Joffrey Baratheon type. And the whole deal with 
Victor Von Doom is he's still kind of awful. In fact, he might even be more awful. Oh. And he is beholden to the whims of the House of Magnus, you know, Ma- Magneto e- and crew. Mm-hmm. And he's real mad about it. And like, everybody's like, you know, you're, you're like a bootlicker of Magnus's. And he's like, no, I'm not. And that's all. That's... Does he still have his own country? Yeah. He still has Latveria. Oh. I've only read the first issue because I'm trying to read the tie-ins as we go. Yeah. Yeah. And in Spider-Man, he's a very famous professional wrestler. Yes! That's awesome. Which is what he originally was in Amazing Fantasy 15. That's like the first thing he decided to use his powers for. Yeah. He's married to Gwen. Uh, they got They got kids. And his... Oh, kids? I knew they had one. They have more than one? Uh, okay. I don't know. Spider-Man's got kids? He has at least a kid. Okay. I don't remember. He's a proud papa. Being, he is. He definitely seems to be like the power without responsibility type, though. Uh-huh. Where he's a little bit infuriating. He's not very heroic. I mean, he's a he's a, just kind of a professional wrestler. His uncle... Hey, hey. Professional wrestlers can be heroes, too. You know what? You're right. Yes. <laughs> uncle Ben is not dead. Oh, okay. So and... he didn't have to learn that lesson the hard way. Right. His publicist is J. Jonah Jameson. Oh! But J. He tr- Peter treats Could... him like crap. Oh, he's not... not... Could he be like his manager, like Henry? Oh, that no, would it's, have been it's fun. literally like his agent oh. almost. But he, he kind of gave Peter a lot of guff when he was younger, the same way that happened in the comics. Mm-hmm. But is somehow kind of beholden to him now in a way that Peter constantly holds over his head, and he finally wants to get some kind of revenge for it because he knows Peter's secret, which is that he's not really a mutant. He's been posing as a mutant because in this world, mutants get ahead. Oh, okay. But that's kind of all that I've gotten so far out of out of the tie-ins. Okay. But not super relevant to the main yeah. stuff. It is very but, much like a... But it touches on something that we haven't talked about a whole lot, which is the like very clear preference for mutants in this world. And that it is a disadvantage to be a, a quote-unquote sapien. Yes, to the point where, like, Luke Cage, whenever Sam Wilson is looking for the murdered kingpin, mm-hmm. Luke Cage calls him, like, the token in the police department, mm-hmm. which, like, man, is this heavy-handed, am I right? Like, right. let's have the two... And, like, a group of mutant men, like, getting ready to woman. assault a woman. Yeah, and Wolverine shows him what for. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I kind of wanted to touch a little bit more on the heavy-handed metaphor of the two guys who in this comic are actually, in real life, a minority, being yeah. African-American, are also, like, a minority. And one of them is, like, the, the the more criminal element, calling the other one, like, a token cop. Right. It was... I think it's it's it was probably outdated in 05 and it just like seems even more outdated now. Like it's just like the most like ham handed use of like the I'm going to hit you in the face with this as like a metaphor. Mm -hmm. I talked with this with some people on the discord and they were like, yeah, it's just like it's it's very heavy handed. Like we even talked about like Luke being represented by cornrows because it's like a less professional haircut. Right. That's how you make him. A like criminal the element. The criminal element. And it's like, that also seems outdated. You know, like... Mm-hmm. I'd like his evil mustache, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I think that's that was great. But yeah, we, so we go into issue two. Do, we, do you want to touch on issue more, issue one anymore? Oh, no, and no. The, the tie-in seemed to take place kind of... 
I mean, after issue one, but not necessarily before anything else too much. Right. So issue two is all the vignettes. Did any vignettes really stand out to you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed Carol Danvers taking down Remy. Carol Danvers taking on Remy LeBeau as like the, the almost like Jason from the, from the good place level of criminal. <laughs> he was a little smarter than that, but he was just kind of like a goober. Mm-hmm. She is in this world the most popular superhero, and she's not even a mutant. Right. It's interesting how the people in this talk so, like, not so politically correct in this world would probably be like not bringing up things like that, but people seem to do it like a ton. Right. Well, I. I just feel like it's more for our benefit, the reader, to, like, realize that yeah. mutants are in this superior position. Like, I can't imagine day-to-day conversations are really that crackerjackful <laughs> references. I, I mean, I would hope not, but that, I mean, that is the world we're presented with here, I guess. Right. We get that, and then the other sort of reference to it is the conversation between between two Hanks, if you if you will, where Hank Pym wants to do research to identify and isolate the mutant gene. They call it mutant gene in this, not X gene as we sometimes know it as, but I think it's supposed right. to be the same thing. And Hank is saying like, no, even like suggesting that is anti-mutant. And he even uses the term, it's reverse racism. It's right, just, like so eye rolly, stating that like even trying to look for something like that would be would be considered very taboo, and that their benefactor Tony Stark, who is still a human in this world, just also incredibly rich, mm-hmm. can't afford to lose face that way when he's already like one of the richest people who isn't a mutant. Which to me, the whole thing was a little bit interesting in that I I mean I don't know why they wouldn't want to isolate it. Like, I know in the X-Men that we know that isolating that gene has caused all sorts of problems and there are, you know, vaccines against it and, you know, that sort of stuff comes from that genetic experimentation. But in a world where people love mutants, like, I I could just see, like, wanting to be able to detect the mutant gene as, like, oh, you don't have it, like, even to oppress the sapiens further Uh, or i think it's more to be able to do experiments on it like give everybody mutant powers possibly and i don't know why that would be a bad thing either i think because mute like genetic experimentation i know it's not supposed to be good but like well and like when you're everybody wants to have mutant powers why if you're on top why would you want everybody else to be on top i mean like we see things like that in in our contemporary society it's not, you know, it's not right, but they're, you know, people in charge tend to want to stay in charge and not lift other people up. Yeah, but, but, but Hank? Oh, Hank is like a big old racist in this world, isn't he? He's like, hey, I know, I know what it's like, man. Your people are becoming extinct and that really stinks for you. And, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of places where human beings can even go anymore. And that's just a real bummer for you. And it's, it stinks. Hey, don't be down. Let's go get lunch. <laughs> He's, oh, yeah, that's right. He's like, you know, at least the dinosaurs didn't see it coming. But for you, gosh, seeing it coming must be really hard. Your yeah. extinction. So Thai food? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's even like this awkward scene where they're kind of like, Oh. Yep. Being able to detect the mutant gene, wouldn't like parents want to detect it in their kids? Because you wouldn't know if your child was... 
that'd be interesting, like just growing up and then suddenly, oh, one of your friends is now somebody you, you don't want to associate with or something because they're a sapien. They didn't, they didn't like, you know, they didn't have mutant powers emerge. Like if you didn't know until somebody was in their teen years. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure. I think it's, it's specifically like the idea of being able to find it and thus get rid of it is. I guess that's true. Right. Like if it, if some sort of like terrorist cell got a hold of that sort of information. Okay. You know, it's like doing research on really scary viruses. There is always an inherent risk, you know? Because maybe you want to know a lot more about smallpox or Ebola, but you got to be really careful about that sort of thing. Hmm. I guess I just wouldn't be very successful in this world. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're a human, so definitely not. (laughs) Um, Trying to think of some other vignettes. Oh, I really liked that the student in Kitty Pride's class said that her mom had a fascination with Namor. Uh You know why. It's because Namor's a real hunk. Yeah. I thought that was kind of fun. It's like why people went to see Magic Mike and just, yep. <laughs> that. I'm now imagining Namor as the star <laughs> of Magic Mike. In this world, maybe. <laughs> Magic Namor. It's oh. got little wing feet. <laughs> well, I mean, hopefully it's more like Magic Mike 2, which I hear is a lot less sad and just kind of more fun. I've never seen any of them. Some some guests who have been on our podcast have even talked about them on their podcast. So it is it is more popular than you might think. Oh, I never said that it wasn't popular. I just mean that it's not my thing. Not for you. Not for me. I'm glad it's for someone. Yeah, I'm glad it's a thing that's there, there for like you Namor. if you needed it. Namor's for everyone, though. <laughs> Namor's for the people. He tells Doom not to toot. Doom toots as he pleases. <laughs> what? I'll have to show you that panel at some point. <laughs> Uh, other vignettes. Emma Frost in no universe seems to wear like an outfit that fully covers her. And then she's like wearing like her bathrobe, but it's very much like falling open. Yeah. Hanging out in her kitchen. But in kind of like a relatable, realistic way. Oh yeah. Like you're in your own house. You're just, you know, hanging out and, you know, putting on clothes is a lot. And sometimes that can't happen until after coffee. (laughs) That's totally fair. I just thought I thought it was funny that it was mm-hmm. like she's both wearing white like normal and it's kind of <laughs> uh, but she works with kids the way that we we knew that Emma always wants to and should. Mm-hmm. So at least Emma and Scott seem to have a pretty happy story. They might have the most happy story. I don't know. Storm seems to be rocking it. Yeah, it's weird, though, because she doesn't seem very much like Storm. No, no, she seems mm. a little a little more like. A little more vapid. A little more high society. She's, she seems like a Kardashian. Oh, boy. <laughs> Christy's making some calls about the Kardashians in this podcast. I know very little about them, except... It, I, I would... Yeah, she's not She's not the, like, sort of regal regal figure that we are, that we are used to. She's mm-hmm. very much like the, like, kind of preening over herself. Mm-hmm. It's interesting seeing Janet just kind of being like, ooh, that looks great. and Because, you know, Janet is am- amazing with fashion and everything, but she is not a mutant. No. So, so. she is definitely just a... So she, she seems a little meeker than normal. Mm-hmm. Wolverine basically is like the same as he always is. He's just working for a different group. 
which yeah. is S.H.I.E.L.D., but S.H.I.E.L.D. in this world is the House of Magnus's organization. And they just seem to fly around the skies with, like, absolutely tons of tech. Right. <laughs> they got helicarriers and big old robots. I think they're supposed to kind of be, like, Very wasteful. Yeah, just hang. Maybe they, maybe it runs on renewable power. And Jessica Drew? Yeah, that's interesting that she's in charge, because I don't, I'm fairly certain in this she's not supposed to be a mutant. It's nowhere is it even evident that she has powers. Right. Yeah, because her she got her powers from her parents being little. Yeah, she's a as Marvel calls a mutate rather mm-hmm. than a mutant, which is something caused you to change at some point. Right. But yeah, the, I guess the other members of Wolverine's group are Mystique, Toad, Nightcrawler, Rogue, and Jessica Drew. Where once he regains his memory, and we spend like an entire issue. I guess issue three, rather looking, he's just looking for people. That's like, that's the whole issue. Yeah. He's trying to find the people he was with before things went crazy. I mean, what else could he do? Yeah. I think that's totally fair. He steals a guy's bike. Very Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Does some breaking and entering. Goes into the mansion in, in Westchester that is normally Xavier's. And some guy's like, who are you, man? And he's just like, uh, bye. How long have you lived here? How long have you lived here? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, tries to call up Peter Parker, and they're like, "You want, you want fan the fan club?" Which <laughs> is pretty good. We get a little bit of Wolverine being obsessed with redheads. Yep, in kind of a gross, gross little way. Your redhead mm-hmm. fetish, cool. We're definitely gonna hand House of M to my children so they can ask me what a fetish is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, poor comics. They're just never for kids anymore. I mean, you. you can... You could just say something something somebody likes a whole lot. He likes ladies with red hair. Yeah. I guess that's fine. You're right. I... What was I thinking? <laughs> Which you mean... always has red hair, so whatever. I think most 13-year-olds might not know exactly what it is, but have a vague idea of oh, what a yeah. fetish is. I probably knew at 13, and I was even fairly sheltered. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not a thing you would talk about. Like, I can't imagine a 13-year-old actually going to their parents and asking them what a fetish is. Like, your 8-year-old, maybe, if you're giving them this comic. Yeah. I don't... 8 years old, I don't think I'd start them with House of M. You've done right. a, you've done a lot right. of weird background right. knowledge in Marvel. Plus, now, they're, the kids would just Google it. They won't ask you anything. That's <laughs> true. They'd find out... <laughs> they would find it. <laughs> they would find everything. Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, and then he goes and tries to find Tony Stark and they're like, he owns this building. He's not here. You goober. <laughs> Wolverine just strikes out like for three times in a row in this before <laughs> his crew comes to find him. And they're all like practically like Power Ranger posing. Yeah. Like Rogue's like flipping some stuff and Nightcrawler's like doing a pose and Jessica's got her, her Oh, her Reed, laser I gun. really wish you could see Chris cuz not only is he talking about the poses right now, he is doing, doing them. all the poses. They definitely do a spread of like look at these people posing. I actually there's a lot of posing in this comic. Mm. There's the crowd scene from back in issue one where they come into like the office. The meeting room. Mm-hmm. They're literally like all doing different poses. Like somebody's sitting on the on the table and someone's like doing one of these. And we even get the like walk up, like Armageddon style walk up of the Astonishing X-Men. There's just, there's so many groups. I mean, you could argue that everybody's posing always. Right. It just, it seems like a lot of group photos are happening. 
in mm-hmm. in the House of M universe. Some real nice like Vanity Fair spreads. <laughs> I like to pretend that some Anne Leibovitz yeah, photography. Some Anne Leibovitz, yeah, some Annie Leibovitz. You think Annie Leibovitz is still pretty successful in the House of M universe? She hasn't been supplanted by like Eye Boy or something. <laughs> I don't know who Eye Boy is. Uh, he's a mutant teenager with lots of eyes. Oh, he's Eye Boy. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, this is like, this is the group photo universe. You know, last time we had the stab universe, this is the universe of group shots. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we had more group shots in Spider-Verse than we've had in House of M so far. Same artist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Olivia Quapel did both. Have you noticed Chris Eliopoulos, too? Man, that guy letters everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he probably got his start very young, just having to write that last name. I'm... Yeah. <laughs> Someone whose name is Edelman. Ooh, I get that. But I think he's been he's been at least three of our crossovers. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Eliopoulos does a lot of lettering. Good letter. Really competent. Yeah. If you notice the lettering, it's either very good or awful. If you don't notice it, they're doing like a totally fine job. Right. It's when things start to look bad where you're like, oh. Right. <laughs> or like multiple people worked on the lettering and it's inconsistent. Yeah. Or like it's crowded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When yeah, like when a letter is doing their job, you probably just take it for granted, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate because I think they do really good work. Yeah, I mean we've talked about some good letterers here. I think I don't remember if it was Chris that we complimented before, but we've we've talked about enjoying lettering. Yeah, com- or uh, Richard Starkin's comic craft. Mm-hmm. Chris Chris had a lot of a lot of good things to say. I think Richard Starkin's was his greatest hero. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. So yeah, we 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 here at uh, at Chris's on Infinite Earth try to really appreciate good letters. Mm-hmm. We're kind of coming on the close of this issue. They try to capture Wolverine, and he escapes into a dark portal. Yeah, which is cloak. That's what cloak does. He makes dark portals with his cloak. Of course. Yep. Now they have a TV show that we have not caught much of yet. Oh, that's right. Dagger has light powers. Cloak has dark powers. Um, they were kids that were runaways. Not not the runaways. <laughs> you have to specify. And they, their origin is kind of drug related. And okay. Yeah. And yeah, so Cloak can open portals using his dark powers. Da- mm-hmm. da- or Dagger mostly like throws light beams and stuff. She's a blonde lady. She hasn't shown up yet in House of M. We'll have to see if she shows up. But there's there's that really cool end shot where Hawkeye's got the bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. And is like, like you better do as the man says. When Luke says to like rip the transponder out of the back of his neck, which or crush Wolver- it or crush something. It. that's kind of no biggie, right? Right. It was just some rando. He's like, "Why you want me to break my neck? Yeah, you better do it." Like, how do they have his healing powers? Maybe they know. Maybe they've done their their reconnaissance. So, I mean, Wolverine's got to be probably a fairly famous mutant. In true, of them, you would true. think, or maybe like not very. Maybe he's like very much. Maybe he is super low key because he's. Maybe those like, agents are not supposed to be very well known. Right. It's interesting, kind of who they picked, since we have Ro- Rogue, Toad, Nightcrawler, Mystique, mm-hmm. Wolverine, Jessica Drew, all people who I could definitely see doing some Black Ops. I don't know if at this point Rogue has her has her strong, super strong and flying. Yeah, powers. that was what I was gonna ask. I don't think she does because she doesn't use any of them in this right and i feel like she would so i don't think that she currently does 
in contemporary to this comic. Yes. So the Hawkeye reveal, while also while looking cool, is also a really big deal because as we as we said in the summary, Hawkeye was killed by the Scarlet Witch. He is oh. dead in the main Marvel universe at this point. Okay. So this yeah. Is also... So yeah, she definitely does bring people back. She Jean does. could have been here if she'd <laughs> wanted it, but she didn't. Specifically, did not want Jean to come back. <laughs> And she, it seems like she's taken some people off the board with, you know, with Charles Xavier being gone. Mm-hmm. All right. So are we ready for accolades? Accolades. All right, Chris, what was your best line? My best line was when Emma Frost is arguing that killing the Scarlet Witch is totally an A-OK thing to do. And she barely gives it any thought. That someone says that, or she says that the X-Men handle threats to mutants. And Kitty Pride says, like, threats to mutants, not threats that are mutants. And Emma hits back, we do both. Mm-hmm. She, Yeah, cause she said we handle mutant threats. Mutant threats. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. I liked the we do both. Just literally. <laughs> like, My- like she was, exp- like, she was gonna, like, remodel your house and you wanted to know if Emma Frost... Uh, was both a plumber and an electrician, and she just said, we do both. Like, that that level of, like, <laughs> quick, like, this is what we do was, uh, it was, like, ruthless, but also, like, a little funny to me. Like, we do both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My uh, best line comes from that same scene, uh, but it's between Cap and Wolverine, and Cap saying, there's always a way, and Wolverine says, not always, and Cap just responds, Always. Yeah. That's the good stuff. I uh, it was it was a very very like we're we're only gonna get a little bit of Captain America, we better like hit it quick. Mm-hmm. And just get a good a good old cap line and it's like bam, there it is. Mm-hmm. Because beyond this point, Cap is Cap's just old. He's just an old guy wearing sweatpants in a in a cap. Mm-hmm. I think that I think he he I don't know if he comes up again to be honest. I think he maybe does. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's just like, look, he never got frozen. Mm-hmm. Who's your greatest hero? So, my greatest hero was a little hard to pick here. So Yeah, because uh, no one's like a hero yet. Right. There's no, there's no problem that's been fixed, I guess, up to this point. So, my greatest hero is going to go to Kitty Pride because she's doing good work as a teacher. <laughs> Christy sticking, sticking with teachers. This um, is, I love how you're really using our podcast to express teacher solidarity. <laughs> I mean, granted, I could definitely offer her some suggestions, but given that her name is written on the board, it looks like she might even be a substitute teacher because no teacher just like walks in and writes their name on the chalkboard every day. Maybe it's the first day of school. Maybe. But if so, this is a really boring lesson for the first day of school. Well, they are starting with like me, like the beginning of like mutant history. It seems like so. I are I am gonna argue that it is the first day of school, or at least the first day of term. Oh. Let's hope she doesn't get an observation because the level of engagement here of her students is not <laughs> great. She is the most like I'm tired of this face too in the first panel. Yeah, like some people have these really good lives, like Scott and Emma, and she's just like. She's so astonished that any of her students knows anything. But she also, like, looks like she needs, like, three more cups of coffee. Yeah, I know that feel. (laughs) Miss Pride. 
<laughs> we, got a, we got the Edelman Pride connection here. <laughs> All right, Chris, who is your greatest hero? Mine's Cap for your for the moment from your best line. I oh, like okay. that Cap is uncompromising and trying to do the best thing for everybody and is not going to take no for an answer. Or in Xavier's case, I've done everything and literally don't know what else to do. And Cap's like, well, think of something. The best thing for everybody or the right thing? Because I don't think those are the same things here. And I think Cap is very much about doing the right thing. I think he's about doing the best thing for everyone. Okay. Because it might be that the, you know, what 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 do we mean by the the right thing in this case? Would the right the right thing? I guess you might mean because there might be dire consequences for not right. I just in Cap's mind, I think he he'll just they'll do it. There aren't going to be consequences because there's a way, which is maybe not the most realistic. But right. man, Cap just gets things done. Okay, <laughs> you know, like well, not this because yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm just saying if like it's if let's say I've got to plan a birthday party on Saturday and it's Friday night, mm-hmm. I'm calling Steve Rogers because he gets things done. I mean, he's like, you don't have a cake. You don't have any entertainment. He gets it done. You might be like, there's no possible way we can get like, you know, a hundred wings in a half hour. And he's like, there there's I don't take no for an answer. This is just what we do. Steve Rogers party planner. <laughs> Steve, I was thinking about using a yellow and green themed. Mm-mm. There's only three colors we use in parties. <laughs> Could I, can I get a, a mixture of a couple of those? Maybe some pink, Mm-mm. some purple. <laughs> we do red, white, and blue. That's all we know. But if I Kirby dot the red and the, the, the blue really close together, it <laughs> might look a little, little purple. A little, a little bit. Is this the time where we say these colors don't run? <laughs> I don't think that's what that means. So, coolest moment? Coolest moment. Steve Rogers planning your parties? (laughs) No, my my coolest moment. I just really enjoyed Carol Danvers stopping uh, Remy Laveau's car and just like loose cash flying everywhere. (laughs) Did they not keep it in a bag? it's just spilling like in buckets all over the place i just like that remy robbed a bank and it's like he probably told somebody like like we i'm gonna do a a bad a bad gambit we gonna bathe we gonna bathe in this money and he just he's like like, no they might catch us we have to do it it's like he wants to like uncle scrooge ducktail You know what's a surefire way to get caught is when you're just like driving a car and cash is just streaming out all of the windows. Uh, Michael, I think it's a convertible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like to rob banks with a convertible. I don't know if they robbed a bank. They robbed something, but they're just like cash flying all over the place. So if this is supposed to be the nicest universe where like people get what they want, like it's fun. Does Gambit want to be an even worse thief? <laughs> worse than wearing fingerless gloves? He his gloves have fingers in this universe. He's he's marginally better. I don't know. Still gets very caught. Yes. So my coolest moment is like the couple of pages where Wolverine fights off the S.H.I.E.L.D. crew and flees. Mm. Your girl, Jessica Drew, goes down like a P-U-N-K punk. 
Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. She gets like backhanded in the nose and that's like it. We don't see her for the rest of the issue. Uh, there's this cool, there's a cool thing with Nightcrawler though, where he's trying to like catch Wolverine, Mm -hmm. but then like, it's like arrow, 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 arrow. And he's just like, I've been hit. It's like this, that's such like a cool, like poof, 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 poof. Or rather, bamf, 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 bamf. You really can't say bamf a lot quick. No. (laughs) Bamf, 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 bamf. We're getting very silly at the end of this podcast. It was just, I I loved reading that scene, like him rounding the corners and like the shots going off. It was just a very well done and cool comic action sequence. I feel like a lot of comic action sequences love to be like big staticky punches. And this conveyed a lot of motion to it. And the big staticky punches are easy for me to follow. That's fair. Uh, This, to be fair, this approach that I like takes up a lot of real estate Mm -hmm. uh, on your comic book. So it like, we probably sacrificed a lot of dialogue just for this really cool runny away scene, but I really dug it. We sacrificed a lot of dialogue for that glowing light in the first issue. Yeah, that was two pages. <laughs> it was awful. Of like, yeah, like, kind of looks like an eye, like the Eye of Sauron a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then it went from, like, horizontal to vertical. and Yep. Alright. Uh, silly Villainy. The Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess my Silly Villainy now that I I've just talked about it, I could have could have given that to Remy. Is that just was... existing? <laughs> but I didn't. I gave this silly villainy to Jessica Drew because a I just don't believe it. Maybe things are just <laughs> wrong in this universe. This isn't my Jessica. Not my Jessica. Hashtag not my Jessica. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she just gets like elbowed or backhanded or something by Wolverine. Granted, they were like. No, Wolverine's supposed to be her her bud, and they're just trying to talk him down gent- gently, and he just suddenly smacks her. But I don't, and maybe it's because she doesn't have Spidey powers in this universe. She has like a laser gun, I guess. But it was just silly to me. I don't know that not that she's silly. This was silly. It's wrong, and it's not right, and it, it's silly. Okay, <laughs> a wrong, b not right, c silly, silly. <laughs> So my Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy went to the fact that the the Antagonist Shields team definitely practiced those poses. I talked about it a lot, but I am so positive that they have drills for doing these poses. Because it definitely looks like the most posed action action team. It seems like (laughs) the Ginyu Force from Dragon Ball Z. It looks like a very muted... Sort of Toku Sentai thing going on. Okay, okay, let's pull up some of these poses. I've got, I've got, I don't know if I have it quite. It's in my mostly head. rogue, to be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah. Rogue's like twirling something, and I'm not sure what it is. Like, is it knives or like? Uh, yeah, because she never stops twirling it. So how are you really supposed to know? I don't know. She's got some fun French braids going on, right? She's French braids. Yeah, she does. She's yep. got some some two French braids there. Okay, yeah, that pose is a little much. I and... love it. <laughs> I don't know. I was it, it was interesting trying to decide who were the villains in this universe. Yeah, cuz it's this is not like your this is not your secret wars where they're literally like these are the bad guys, these are the good guys. Mm-hmm. Or, or like, like Spider Verse has very clear villains. Flash, Flashpoint. Mm. 
but this is like uh, it's just like some things are happening but I like in I don't think these are necessarily like the bad guys they are just the antagonist to Wolverine who is the closest thing we have to a protagonist in this entire world yep I guess that's I guess that's fair because for all we know these could be like a really good group of agents that actually do nice things and Wolverine's just like I mean, they're aboard out. like a flying death machine so let's not and like... they put trackers in all their agents so probably not the best <laughs> could be run of the mill government organization who knows it's the EPA <laughs> <laughs> it's, but I mean it's shield but it's yeah it's not like the US shield which they're definitely like hanging out in the US yeah yeah well, anyway, I guess next time we'll be covering more House of M. Yeah. Next three issues, so four, five, and six, if you're reading along at home, we'll see if some really nice things happen to all these mutants. Maybe this will become the, the Marvel status quo. No, we know that's not true. Well, you know, I just wanted the listeners to come back just be going, what? I have to find out, and I am not going to read House of M. I only rely upon Chris and Christy. <laughs> My only comics exposure. It's this podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to get a hold of us prior to our next podcast, you can do so on Twitter at Chris's Pod. Also, Facebook at Chris's Pod. We love to hear from you. You can also email us at Chris's on Infinite Earths at gmail.com. If you would like to review us on iTunes or Stitcher or one of your favorite podcast platforms, we really love seeing those five-star reviews, and we'll shout you out on the air. We have a Ko-fi account. If you want to donate to us, it's www.ko-fi.com. The concept there is you are buying us a, a cup of coffee, so you donate in $3 increments, anywhere from $3 up to nine hundred thousand or nine nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine if you do that uh we'll do whatever we'll do whatever crossover you want forever (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but we we will also shout you out on air if you do that and we very much appreciate your donations this we operate this podcast at a loss we are really just doing it for fun so anytime we get things like that it makes me feel really good about what we're doing that someone is actually willing to pay for it. Yeah. Well, yeah. to donate to it. Mm-hmm. And until next time, readers. Slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours. <laughs>